welcome back to You Tuned In. I hope that everyone is somewhere staying warm and being thankful for the providence that we have to do so. And uh, if you're still listening at this point, I'm just going to assume that you're serious about wanting to be a more truthful and accountable person. And if that isn't you and you're just here to support me or be entertained by the riveting musings of a random guy, then I suggest you take this as your cue to go do something else. Because uh, tonight's topic is a bit of a pill. If you're not dedicated to internalizing this concept and making a change, it could really rub you the wrong way. Uh, and we're going to talk about deductive reasoning. If you read the Bible, if you're a Bible reader, uh, one of the most notable pieces of information that it gives us about the human heart is that it is deceitful above all else, and that it's desperately wicked. I know that sounds like a real ominous way to start this off, but this is important to pay attention to because there are common instructions this world over that tell you that your heart should be your primary source of direction and information. I know you've heard it. I've heard it everywhere. And like every great lie, there is insane elements of truth within it. To say that your heart should never be listened to, though, uh, would be a clear admission of a lack of understanding of what your heart really is when people say your heart. Many times our spirit feels off. Or we'll say that our gut told us something. And this information actually comes from a very real place and is not to be ignored. But we do have fail-safes. We need to have fail-safes in place for times that our heart leads us down the wrong path. It does this because there are things that we want. And our heart wants us to have those things. But that doesn't make him right. Just because there are things that we want, we may want them so very badly. And our heart wants us to have them so very badly. But that doesn't make all of those things the right thing. And when I say right, I'm talking about what you subscribe to morally, spiritually. There's standards like we talked about in the last episode that are objective and come from outside of ourselves. And this is why deductive reasoning is important. The ability to deduce and work your way backwards. One of my favorite phrases, as you know, walk it back. You have to be able to have deductive reasoning. You have to be skilled in that. If you're going to be honest and tell the truth, because our heart really is quite tricky and it's great at what it does because our heart cares about us and it cares about the things that we want. And no matter how big of a heart you have towards other people and how caring and kind you are, your heart is designed to care about you. <laughs> That's what it's designed to do. In, uh, in any crime drama, when the police finally get a hold of their prime suspect, they will ask a series of questions. But the most popular, however, will be, where were you on the night of the crime? Where were you July 5th of whatever date it is? That's what you always hear anytime you're watching a crime movie and they start talking to their, to their suspect. They're gathering evidence. Why is that the first question? Where were you? 
Well, it's because they're working backwards. They want to see how you fit into the story of what they know is true and what you're telling them is true. I'm bringing that up because oftentimes when it comes to polarizing topics that are usually about something that we're doing wrong or that we're erring in, that our heart wants us to keep erring in, there's something innate within us that keeps us from changing. It keeps us from moving and this is called justification. We make it, we begin to justify or make allowances for the spot that we're in. And that's our heart doing that work, doing that job. Our heart mixes with our brain and it creates this elaborate set of information that, I mean, it's just hard to argue with. You will rarely, if you know me, you know this to be true. You will rarely find me ever questioning what somebody says God told them to do. I don't care how outlandish it is. You may tell me that God told you to go find a subway and jump off of it while it was moving and see if you could catch a bunny on the ground. Something wild and asinine. And you're not going to see me fight with you. Not because I believe that what you're saying is true. But because I believe that in order for you to be a fully functioning human being, at the best version of yourself, the way that God intended for you to be, you are going to have to have the ability to navigate what God is telling you for yourself. Groupthink is a real thing. And we live in a time where it's more prevalent than ever. And people lack the ability to sit in their own thoughts and in their own silence to find a direction and walk in that direction and be accountable for wherever that points. So you won't find me ever really discouraging it. I will try to help someone navigate it to find their way to more accurate information or to more fruitful information. But I'm not going to say, well, God didn't tell you that. Because if I feel like God told me something and I feel like someone has come to me and told me not to do that thing, that conversation just isn't going to get very far. Because if God told me to do it, I'm going to try to do it. And I want to give that same liberty to other people. But sometimes, if we don't have deductive reasoning, we will begin to justify. And, and, and justification is a defense mechanism. It's not to be demonized, but understood. Sometimes we say justification, all the pride rears up in us. And we say, oh, I'm not justifying, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. It's not to be demonized. Everybody does it. Everybody has done it. And it's where you begin to rationalize your decision-making process in order to not have to change. But if you understand it, you become far more effective. When we sin, and I'm using the word sin because obviously I subscribe to God. But if you do not and you describe, you ascribe to something else, some other moral compass, you can rephrase that as when we make the wrong decision. When we do something that is not okay morally or socially or otherwise... If we're not interested in being accountable, we will focus more on our internal rationalization system than the actual facts of the circumstance. After we do that, we start to develop these epiphanies or these newfound understandings of God or society or even just our own moral compass and its origin. So I always tell people to question your source. Question your source. Sometimes you can have the right answer, but you got it in the wrong way. 
Sometimes you can have the right answer, but you're applying it in the wrong scenario. There are some things that may be true that you may feel like that you need to contend with or fight with, but if you are doing them in the wrong spot, then it's not going to benefit you. It's actually going to hurt you because that little thing inside you that caused you to err in the first place is still there. It's been left unresponded to. And if we do this long enough, we become attached to them at no less of a bond than we have to the truth of indisputable things like what's your name or what number comes after nine. These things become emphatic truths to us. And this is because your mind knows that if you're wrong about your assertions or your new epiphany, then the things that you're doing are wrong also. And they're just as bad as you've always heard and known. And if you want to be as good as you think yourself to be, then you must change them. <laughs> the heart does not like this. One of the things that, that uh, people talk to me all the time is they notice pretty quickly that I don't curse. And usually this is coming from the Christian community. And they say, oh, you don't cuss. And I say, no, I don't. And then they'll begin to apologize to me for the language that they use. And I will almost always respond to them. And your language has nothing to do with me. Your mouth is not my mouth. I'm not the person you should apologize to. I appreciate that you're being cognizant of maybe what may be harsh to my ears. And I appreciate the respect that you show, but no need to apologize to me. And I will find a lot of the time that your typical Christian who uses language that I do not use or that you do not find in the Bible that you probably wouldn't use if you're walking around with Jesus is that it doesn't really matter what we say. God knows my heart. Actually, God knows my heart is probably one of the biggest responses that you'll get to any sort of controversial subject or perceived wrongdoing by anyone. God knows my heart. And like every great lie, oh my gosh, there's such an element of truth. I think a lot about, if you read a lot in the Bible, you'll see Saul not talking about Saul that became Paul in the New Testament. I'm talking about King Saul, the first king that Israel had, and juxtaposing him up to King David that came after him. King Saul was the first king chosen, and whenever he was first chosen, he had a very humble heart about it, a humble mind about it. But he made a couple of decisions that got him in trouble. The first decision that he made was uh, there was a sacrifice that Samuel was supposed to have made, Saul wasn't supposed to make that sacrifice, but there was war coming and Samuel uh, was still gone after the allotted amount of time that he said he was going to come back and make the sacrifice. And Saul wanted to seek God about this upcoming battle. So he made a sacrifice himself. Sounds like no big deal, right? I want to seek a God about going into battle to know if he's going to be right there with me and he's going to make everything go okay. That seems understandable. But when Samuel got back and saw that Saul had made this sacrifice, he said, what are you doing? And he told him the story. He said, you tarried at your coming. And I forced myself because I wanted to know what to do. And then Saul, uh, Samuel tells him that uh, I, I wish you would have just waited on me. God would have established your kingdom forever, but now he's not going to. And that seems like, man, that... That seems like a really harsh reaction to an infraction seemingly that small and understandable. 
But here's the truth of the matter is that Saul had something inside of him that God already saw. And it was a pride and it was a glory hound type of spirit that Saul had within him. And this is echoed. And not very long after that, God tells Saul, I want you to go in and utterly destroy all the Amalekites. Don't save anybody. Don't save any animals and don't save the king. And do not bring back any of those spoils. I want you to burn that city. Well, Saul goes and he takes care of destroying the people, uh, but he does save the king. And there's also a lot of really good animals there. And sacrifices were expensive because you had to give the best that you had. So all these people are seeing these really great animals that they have, and they want to bring them back for sacrifices. And all Saul says, go ahead, because he's the king, the first king, and he really wants these people to like him. You can read on further and you see that he gets the entire kingdom removed from him. And God's spirit is removed from him. Because he didn't do what God said. And whenever he is confronted about this, he tells, Saul, he tells Samuel, I did do what God said. And Samuel says, if that's true, then why do I hear sheep bleeding in my ears? He said, well, the people wanted to sacrifice. Thereby exposing that thing within him. Where were you when you got your epiphany? That's the question I have. Where were you when you got your epiphany? Saul, when he got his epiphany, that it would be okay for him to sacrifice the place that he was at was, well, I'm getting ready to go to war. It would behoove him to sacrifice. So his heart really wanted something. He wants to be this great king that wins battles and wins war. And his heart really wanted something. So it justified and said, you know what? God will understand this because you're seeking him, right? And he knows your heart, right? Where was Saul when he got the epiphany that it's okay to bring back the king and it's okay to bring back those sacrifices? Well, he was standing in front of a group of people that had just had this triumphant victory and what is customary in victory is to take the spoils of war back home and now they're looking at all of these sheep and sacrifices that they now don't have to take out of their own flock. They're going to love him. What a victory right off the bat. It would behoove him to do that. It would be a benefit to him to do that. Now, I'm not saying that everything that would be a benefit to you is inherently wrong. But I am saying that whenever there are things that you already know objectively to not be right and you really, really want to do them. And then all of a sudden you start falling into these ways where that might be possible. You start stumbling across epiphanies. As you lay upon your bed, where now all of a sudden that guy that you really want to date, that you already know God don't want you dating him. But now all of a sudden, you have this epiphany that Jesus ate with sinners. <laughs> you have this epiphany that Jesus ate with sinners. And, and while this guy is, is, is not really somebody you should be spending a lot of time with, how are you supposed to help him if you don't date him? I would say question your source. I would say question where were you the night of the crime? and walk it backwards. This is all very uncomfortable. I call it the alarm clock theory. The reason I call this the alarm clock theory is that anybody that doesn't like waking up in the morning, I'm a weird person, I do like waking up very early, but anybody that doesn't, they have this thing that they do with their alarm clock and the alarm clock that you set, by the way, you're the one that wanted to wake up because there's something that you really want to do or get done. You set the alarm clock, but when it wakes you up in the morning, you're irritated and frustrated because nobody likes to be pulled from a warm bed from a secure place that feels good and to be told that they have to now get up and do something. So they hit the snooze button 
and they go back to sleep. This happens to us all the time on our journey towards truth and authenticity and accountability. We will see something in ourselves. And it's like for a second, alarm clock goes off and it jars us and it wakes us up and it's very uncomfortable. If you are somebody that wants to live a Christian life and do the right things and you want God to bless you with this Christian spouse or this person you're, that you want to be with, but the person that you're dating, you're shacking up with them or you're having sex with them before you've gotten married, whatever epiphany that you've had that told you that that type of lifestyle is okay, question your source. <laughs> I know that's probably irritating for me to say. It's very specific. It's very on the nose, but I see it and I hear it a lot. We're shacking up with people and then we want to say things like, well, God knows my heart. God knows oh, the desires that he created within me and how impossible it is for me to overcome those particular desires. So he's given me this person and me and this person are going to be married anyways. That's a justification and it doesn't make your situation right. And when the alarm clock goes off and every time you feel that thing telling you that you need to do something different, if you just keep hitting snooze, eventually you're going to be late to your occasion and you're going to miss it. Anger is a telltale sign. I had a buddy that had uh, an alarm clock and when the alarm clock would go off, he would get so angry that he would throw the thing. He would throw the thing that he set. He set the alarm clock, but he would toss it because he's irritated at the fact that it woke him up. We do that a lot. Sometimes when people that are in our lives that love us or care for us don't agree with the pathways that we're on, it makes us angry, especially after we give them our beautiful justification and we start telling them about our epiphany that makes what we're doing okay. And they still don't want it. It makes us angry. Anger is a telltale sign. Lack of conviction is a telltale sign. If you're not convicted, the truth will convict you. The truth will provoke you to action. If you're not convicted or provoked to action by a thing, if you can't stand on it, then it's not real. And these, this scenario only really applies, it usually applies about topics that are already objectively understood, but now we have to redefine terms or understandings or applications just to make our new thing work. It's already understood. You can, you can read it anywhere that if you're a Bible reader and you care about fornication, it's already understood the realms by which God said that that thing is okay. It's understood. You have to start switching stuff around to make it not work. You start looking around at things like uh, transgenderism and the LGBT community. Talk about somebody getting angry. If you challenge that way of thought, they will start throwing concepts at you like, well, Jesus loves everybody and created everybody and created everything. And just like our last topic of conversation, if Jesus loves me and created me, then nothing I can do can be wrong, right? Wrong. Walk it back. Use deductive reasoning. Where were you standing when you got that epiphany that Jesus doesn't care about what you do? But if you start saying things like this, you're really, really mad. Now it's time to go fisticuffs. Here's the thing, though. And if you don't remember anything else I'm telling you, this is what I want you to remember. The truth is firm. Even if no one agrees, you can stand on it and it will not move. 
Sometimes this is the case with our epiphanies and things that God has shown us. Maybe God has shown you something. If it's true, it will stand firm. No matter who it is that is coming against it, you can stand on that thing because it is an emphatic truth and you can back it up with something that is objective or outside of you. But if that is not the case, then don't go back to sleep. Don't push the snooze button. If that is not the case, question your source of where were you when you got your information and use deductive reasoning to go backwards. Where was I standing when God showed me this epiphany? Was I standing knee deep in the middle of the sin? And if I was, then there's a good chance, there's a likelihood that maybe the thing that I'm saying okay is okay is not really okay at all. Maybe me and my heart made that up so that I don't have to move. This, much like other topics that are heavy and full of meat, we're not going to cover in 20, 23 minutes. We're going to revisit it. And uh, if you're still around, I hope that you've been able to follow along and be honest internally. And if you didn't like it, uh, just remember, you tuned in. See you guys soon.